Thank you, Bishop Michael. Um, he makes me call him that in public. Even when we go for coffee, I have to order for him. Bishop Michael, what would you like? <laughs> Archbishop Michael. It's so good to be here. It's amazing how some of my favorite people are all in one room. You know, I've got Jasmine Taz sitting over there, one of my favorite people right around the world. I saw Gerald and Tracy somewhere. I don't know where the handsome guy is now back there. They followed me. I brought two guests with me. I draw a crowd. Um, oh, let me press start here. So picture this, John 7. Every person that considers himself religious, every person that considers himself devout, every person that considers himself a Jew, gathers now in Jerusalem at the great feast. Jesus' brothers come up to him before this and say, listen, if you want to show people who you are and what you're about, this is the perfect time. This is probably, Mike, the biggest conference of the year. But it's not a Josh Gen 412 conference. This is a conference. Imagine all the who's who from around the world. I'm talking Benny Hinn's going to be there. Bill Johnson's going to be there. Joseph Prince will be there. The big shots, the really famous guys. Everyone from around the world is going to be at this conference. The great feast. And so they gather in Jerusalem. And you can hear, by the way, Jesus' brothers describe it. They say, Jesus, you should go to this feast, to this conference, to this opportunity to show everyone what you're about. So clearly this was about, you know, a religious thing, but also a bit bit of status. An opportunity for you as a teacher or a preacher or a scribe or a Pharisee to come and flex your theological knowledge and show who you are in God. Everyone's gathered. And Jesus declines the offer. Because the reality is that every time man wanted to exalt Jesus, Jesus actually resisted and pulled away. Every time man wanted to come and say, do this or do that, let's make him king, Jesus pulled away because he realized that true promotion comes from God alone. So he resists the opportunity and says, no, I'm not going to go. But then he sneaks in, low and slow, humbly, almost hidden. And on the last day of the great feast, A feast, a place where you've come to eat and drink and fill yourself to capacity on the last day. He stands up. No one knows he's there. Stands up and shouts, anyone who is still thirsty, come unto me and I will cause rivers of living water to flow out of you. He's looking at everyone who's been at a feast and says, all of you that have tried everything this world has to offer and are still left unsatisfied, come to me now. You've tried all the drink you can drink. You've eaten all you can eat. But if there's still something inside of you that is empty, that wants more, come to me. And my prayer would be that we would be a people like that. That we would be constantly thirsty. It's only in the kingdom of God where when you eat and drink, you want more and you're never satisfied. It's only when you drink of the living waters that you never quench that thirst. You want more and more because you've tasted the sweetness and the goodness of life-giving waters. So he stands up and says, come if you're thirsty and I will cause you to be a river of living water. He asks for nothing more. He doesn't ask you to be a great theologian or a great teacher, to be anointed or gifted, to be powerful, to be influential. He doesn't ask anything of you. He says, if you're just thirsty, come to me and I will cause you to be a river of living water.
So my prayer tonight is before we even step into what I feel God is wanting us to discuss, is that we would be hungry. Some of you might have been here for the first time. Welcome. Some of you might have been here for years, sitting in the same seat, hearing the same message, waiting for the same thing, for God to descend and appear amongst us so we can do something with our lives. And I've got news for you. He hasn't appeared amongst us. He's appeared within us. And I want to encourage you. Be hungry again. Be thirsty again. And allow him to fill you again with rivers of living water. So I'm not asking you to take notes. I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm just, I'm standing up here saying, I'm thirsty. Who's with me? I'm thirsty. Who wants more? I'm thirsty. I've tried everything this world has to offer and still, I'm thirsty. What I loved about the time of worship was so beautifully led by Mike. Um, I didn't know you were a worship leader. But it was quite obvious and quite clear quite quickly that the Holy Spirit was trying to say something and lead us in a direction. We began to speak about seeing the face of God. And Mike says in the Old Testament, if you saw the face of God, you would have died. In the New Testament, you still die, but it's a dying to self. It's a dying so we can live. You know, Philip looks at Jesus and says to Jesus, Jesus, we've seen you, but when will we see the Father? And Jesus looks at Philip and responds, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because for the previous 4,000 years up until this moment, religion had robbed God of his reputation. And Jesus came on a mission to redeem the reputation of his Father. You see, every time you see Jesus bending down and picking up a prostitute off the floor, that's God in flesh and bone doing that. Because Jesus says, if you've seen me, if you've seen what I do, if you've seen the way I love you, if you've seen my goodness, my kindness, my mercy, if you've seen my heart towards you, you've seen the Father. But for 4,000 years, religion tried to rob God of his reputation. Religion caused man to make a God in his own image. So when we're shameful, when we're fearful, when we're insecure, we create and project this God who is angry and distant and disinterested. But Jesus sent his son, God sent his son Jesus, so that he could reveal himself to you in flesh and blood. You know, Paul writes in Colossians, and Paul writes and says, the fullness of the deity, the fullness of the Godhead is in Jesus. So Jesus came actually, not for himself, but first and foremost, to show who his father really was to redeem the reputation of his father, the reputation that religion tried to rob from us, the reputation that for 4,000 years man tried to corrupt and pollute. He came to, to tell you that in the garden when Adam and Eve fell, God wasn't running away from them. God wasn't disgusted by them. God went looking for them because God loves you and he wants to cover you and he wants to bring you into covenant and relationship. He wants you to be his son and his daughter. But he needed to come and show you who he really was. In fact, Jesus goes even further to say, everything, I only do what I see the Father do, and I only say what I see, hear the Father say. You see, up until now, what we had in the form of religion, and even some of us here today, we've got God being the bad cop and Jesus being the good cop. 
that he was this angry, disinterested, distant God that could only be pleased through his son. But the fact of the matter is that this story, right from the garden to where we are now, is about a father that has been desperate and would stop at nothing until he could bring you home into adoption, bring you back home as sons and daughters. You hear God speak uh, twice, audibly, in the whole Bible, in the whole New Testament. Twice you hear him speak. In, In what is hundreds of years, you hear him speak only twice. And on both occasions, he looks at Jesus and says, this is my beloved son. And what I love about it, Jesus goes to John the Baptist to get baptized. He's baptized and pulled out of the water. And God looks upon him and says, this is my beloved son. But you see, the reality is, in order to, for there to be a beloved son, what he's really saying is, I am a loving father, and here is my proof. I am a loving father, and I've sent my son Jesus to show you who I truly am, to reveal my true character, to reveal who I am to you. A few years later, he speaks again, and he says, this is my beloved son, And again, he's revealing who he is. It's the only message from the beginning of time. I am a loving father, and you are my children, my sons and my daughters. In order for us, as Mike said earlier, we love because he first loved us. We are beloved sons and daughters only because he is primarily, first and foremost, a loving father. And what we had done for 4,000 years is try and create a God in our image instead of allowing that God to recreate us into his image. And what I want to encourage us today is perhaps if we just shift slightly in our understanding of who God is and his love for us, we will begin to understand who he is, and who he's made us to be. If we begin to shift just the perspective and the gaze, in turn we'll be able to look upon ourselves with renewed vision, with renewed eyes. Because we start off by saying, God, I want to see your face. Then we spoke about in the Old Testament, if you look upon the face of God, you'll die in the New Testament you look upon the face of God and you, you're brought into life. But I think there's even a progression upon that that I want to encourage every single one of us about. What if God wants to display his face through us, not only to us? What if God wants to actually display his face, his eyes of fire, and his voice, the sound of many waters? What if he wants to display his face through us to a dry, dying, and barren world? And he's calling us to be his body in such a way that we reflect not only his nature, but his face. Jesus prays to his Father, and it's one of the most beautiful prayers in John 17. And he says to his father, right at the end, Father, my my prayer is that they would know your love as I have known your love. That they would know that you love me and that, that you love them with the same love that you have for me.
And I want to remind us here tonight that God has called us for more, not only just to come and see his face, but if we stay in that place, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, come before me unveiled and gaze upon my face. Gaze upon me. And it says, at first you reflect my glory, but if you stay in that place of gazing upon the face of God, I will begin to transform you into the image of my son and take you from glory to glory to glory. So where are your eyes fixed? What are you gazing upon? Because ultimately, wherever the focus is, is wherever your destiny is. And he says, come before me unveiled. Come before me as you are. Don't try and fix yourself. Come before me as you are, and I will make you become more like Jesus. You see, that was one of my biggest challenges as a young Christian. I've been in relationship with Jesus and known of him my entire life. One of the biggest challenges for me was having to unlearn everything people told me was God. And you know, I would look at 2 Corinthians 3.18 where he says, Behold me, come before me unveiled. Behold me as you are, and I will cause you to become like Jesus. My problem was I thought in order to behold him, in order to come close, in order to gain access, I first had to become more like Jesus. Because I was told that God hated sin, and he hated me, and he was angry. And if I wanted to come anywhere near him first, I had to become holy and righteous and pure and become more like Jesus in order to behold him, in order to get access to him. That's not what he's saying. Just come as you are. Come with all your baggage, with all your sin, with everything that's wrong with you, come as you are, unveiled, not hidden in shame and guilt, but as you are. And behold me. Fix your eyes on my face. And as you stay in that place of beholding, he says, I will transform you. I will mold you and shape you. I will change you. I will fix you. And I think... One of the biggest challenges for us is we've never been bold enough to come close enough to behold because we've never felt good enough. So we stay at a distance and hope that maybe through an elder or through a deacon or through a song, somehow we can connect with God through through some sort of third party because we've never felt good enough to truly come before God and look into his face as we are. So we've tried in all of our ability, we've tried to discipline ourselves, which isn't a bad thing, but we've tried to discipline ourselves, fix ourselves, change ourselves, do all of these things in our own ability, in our own capacity, so that hopefully we can sneak in the back door and, and stand before him and get a glimpse of him. But the problem is, we will never be able to do it in our own ability. And so we, can't, we create this perpetual cycle of, of trying hard but failing, trying hard but failing, getting up again but failing. And all that we're doing is on this hamster wheel of performance, running our hearts out but never getting anywhere. Because that's not how God designed and created you to be. 
as you are. Come closer than you've ever been. And look upon me. See my kindness. See my love. See my mercy. And allow me to be the potter's hands and you be the clay. Allow me to be the carpenter and you be the wood. Allow me to fix you, adjust you, clean you, make you whole. And if you keep your eyes on me long enough, I'll cause you to become more and more like Jesus and take you from one glory to another glory to another glory. And ultimately, that's what God's glory is in our lives, to become more and more like Jesus. The challenge for us is that we've, we've believed in the lie that has been told since the beginning of time. Adam and Eve are walking through the garden and the snake comes in, slithers in unnoticed. And the snake says to Eve, if you do this, then you'll be that. And it's been the same lie from the beginning of time that the enemy's been trying to pollute us with. If you do this, then you'll be good enough. If you do this, then you'll be better. If you do this, you'll no longer be a failure. You'll be a success. And he's kept us on that cycle of performance and striving and trying to earn our own salvation and work ourselves into, into pleasing God. If you do this, then you'll be that. And we're still burdened with the same lie today as we sit here tonight. If you do this, then you'll become that. But Jesus came to show you and tell you, you're more than enough just as you are. Jesus didn't come to make you worthy. It makes no sense. He came because you are worthy. He sees worth in you. The prodigal son was never not a son, no matter where he was. Jesus came to redeem your worth, the worth that he created and placed in you at the, in, the, in the garden, right in the beginning, your original design and creation, when you, when you were created in the image of God. But the snake slithers in and says, if you do this, then you'll be that. 4,000 years later, we see the same snake in the wilderness with Jesus, the Son of God. And he says to Jesus, if you do this, I will make you that. If you do this, I will give you that. It's been the same lie from the beginning. And we're still wrestling with it today. If only I can break this off of my life, then I can come close to God. If only I can fix this or fix that, then I can come close to God. Jesus came to redeem the reputation of his father, that he is a loving father, and you are his son, and you are his daughter, and he's been fighting for you since the beginning of time, and he's been calling you home since the beginning of time, and man and the enemy has come along and hijacked the reputation of our father, but I want you to know that he's declaring over you today, I am a loving father. And you are my sons and daughters. Don't wait a moment longer. Don't let the enemy lie to you for a moment longer. Come home. If you look at Jesus and you, you, you read his beautiful teachings, he teaches on evangelism three times. Three times Jesus teaches about evangelism. 
every time it's about something being lost. But the essential part is, in order for something to be lost, it first needs to have a place of belonging. For every single thing out there that is lost, it actually means that it has a home. It has ownership. It has a place of belonging. He talks about the lost sheep and how he'll leave the 99 to go after the one. And he talks about his love and his passion for us individually. Because sometimes we sit here today and we think, oh, you know, that love is for Mike Davies. Or that love is for Carl. Or that love is for James. That love is for people that are, for Dion and Kim, who are really good Christians or called. You know, what am I going to do in my own little world, my own little capacity? I'm not in the ministry. I'm battling with simple things. And yet he says, I will leave all of that to come after you. Because I didn't come for the masses. I came to reveal myself for you and in you. And sometimes we sit, and because we've got this performance mentality, this striving mentality, we sit and we look at ourselves, and we know ourselves better than anyone, so we disqualify ourselves. And he came to say, it doesn't matter how lost, how far gone you are, I will leave everyone and come running after you, and I've been doing it all of your life, and I'm doing it here tonight, and maybe he sent me for you here tonight to say, I'm still running after you. I haven't given up. Your salvation is not determined by your faithfulness. It's determined by His faithfulness. Your salvation is not determined by what you can do. It's determined by what He's already done and is still doing. We look at the sheep that's wandered. And there might be areas in your life tonight that have wandered. And you know what happens with wandering? You don't wake up one morning and you're in the middle of nowhere. It's just step by step. I'm going to try this or I'm going to follow this or I'm going to look at this and step by step. And you look and you go, I can still see the group. I'm still close. The group's over here and you, a little step a day, step a day. I can still see that. I can still see God. I'm still going to church. I'm still going to come. Just step by step, you drift. Until eventually you look and go, it's too far to turn back now. I'll just stay here. And eventually you look again, you can't even see them. And there might be some of us today that just step by step have wandered. And step by step have been led astray. And you're sitting and you're thinking, I'm so far away, it's hopeless. I'm so far gone, I don't even know. And he's saying, I'll come for you. Just put your hand up and say, I'm thirsty. Just put your hand up and say, help. I'll come for you. I will reach you. I will leave the 99 and come after you. But he's not going to drag you kicking and screaming. He's saying to you, You've tried everything this world has to offer. Is there still something in you that wants me? We look at the second time that Jesus talks about evangelism. And maybe I'll get my beautiful Kellen to come. We look at the second time that Jesus talks about evangelism. And he talks about the lost coin. You know what the beauty of the lost coin is? Which we, 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 it's so obvious, but we overlook it so often. 
It doesn't matter if I gave you 10 rand right now. If it's in your pocket or my pocket, how much is it worth? 10 rand. And sometimes we look at people that aren't in the kingdom of heaven, aren't Christians, and oh, they have less value. Garbage. Sometimes you look at yourself and go, I'm not as godly and holy as you. I'm of less value. Garbage. You've been devaluing yourself because you've been comparing yourself because you've been looking around and going, oh, I'm not in his hand. I'm up here under the table in the corner. I'm forgotten. I'm lost. I'm not being used in the ministry. I'm not as valuable. No. It doesn't matter where you are. Your value never depreciates. But I tell you what, 10 rand in my hand versus 10 rand in his hand. It's worlds apart. And he's saying to some of us, would you come back? And it might be your whole life that you've wondered, but it might be just areas. Would you come back and place your value in me? not in the things around you because sometimes we look at our lives and we've had these promises and we've had these prophecies but we look at our lives and we go this doesn't look like that and then we begin to devalue ourselves and go well maybe those weren't for me maybe I took a wrong turn maybe but he's saying to you today doesn't matter where you're at right now. You haven't lost your value. You're still the most precious, beloved thing to the Father. He still sent His Son for you. And He would do it over and over again if He needed to. Because your value is not determined by where you are. Your value is determined by who is in you. And He has made you precious and priceless. The third time that Jesus teaches on evangelism, he talks about the Son. The beauty of that story is that it didn't matter where the Son was, he was always a Son. And sometimes we go wondering, ah. Oh, I know there have been times in my life where maybe not the whole of me, but parts of me had wondered where there was so much hurt, disappointment, shame, guilt, that I was there just like this prodigal son in the pigsty. In my own shame, my own guilt, my own hopelessness. And I thought, God, will I ever make it out of this? God, look what I've done. Look at the decisions I've made. This is my own doing, God, and I know it. Will I ever make it out of this? And I want to encourage you. There's a father waiting. And he's looking at you. Because he loves you so much, he won't drag you out. Because he loves you so much, he won't force you against your will. But it says, from a far way off, 
from a far way off, the father saw the son and the father began to run from a far way off. In that culture, a king or a leader of his stature didn't run. It was undignified. But when he saw his son turning, he didn't care about dignity anymore. He didn't care about process or procedures or what is right or wrong because he looked and saw son. And all that God is looking for you to do is just turn and say, help me. Save me. All that he's looking for. And he'll come running. And while you're still giving him the speech of, I'm sorry, he wraps his arm around you and says, my beloved son, my cherished son, take my robe, take my righteousness, I give it to you. Take my ring, take my identity as my son, I give it to you. So covered in manure, covered in filth, covered in pollution, covered in sin, shame. He comes and the Father says, as you are, I'll give you everything I have. As you are, I'll make you an extension of me. And part of the reason the Father had to run, this is so important, is because in those days, in that culture, if a servant saw a son who betrayed his father and humiliated his father like that, if a servant saw the son, the servants would chase the son away. In fact, Some say the servants would stone the son. So the father knew he wasn't only running to his son. The father knew he had to outrun the voices of man. The accusation and the blame of man. And tonight, parts of you, parts of you might be prodigal. There's still parts in me that are prodigal. I'm telling you. There's still hopes and dreams, and there's still things in my life where shame creeps in and guilt creeps in, and I don't feel good enough. I, I buy into that lie from the beginning of time. You're not enough, Luke. So I, I just hope that if I can fix myself enough, that <laughs> your father's waiting to wrap everything he has around make all things new. The beauty of that story is that there were two brothers in that home. And for some of us tonight, we might be like the older brother. We never strayed. We never wondered. But familiarity hardness has crept in. Where God, I've been serving for so long. God, I've been faithful for so long. Look at Luke. He's been prodigal. He's got tattoos. How can you use him? And for some of you here tonight, your own faithfulness has become a burden. And you've almost lost that excitement and that expectation and that truly knowing of God because you've been so close to him for so long that you know of him but you don't truly know him and the older brother was like that he said to the dad I never betrayed you I never wondered and yet you're my son the the son that betrayed you comes home and you 
You give him everything. And he said, son, but you've had access to everything all along. And I want to encourage you tonight, for those that have been at the Father's table, in the Father's house, for those of you who have been at church, coming, working, day in, day out, slaving away, serving, being faithful, giving of your all. But what about me, God? That robe of righteousness is for you too. That place of new beginnings, that place of new inheritance, of new things, is there for you too. want to see the face of God. We want to see Jesus. We want to become more like Him. We want our lives to change. We want to be transformed. We want people to see Jesus in us. But perhaps tonight what He's asking is, would you put down trying to become like me on your own? And will you just come before me and behold me? Look into my eyes. Look at my face. Hear my voice. Just as you are. And I will cause you to become more and more like Jesus. Would we be willing tonight to kick that devil and that lie out of our lives. The one that says you're not enough. The one that says you can't come close to God. The one that says blessing and goodness and all those nice things are for someone else, not for me because I know me and I don't deserve them. Perhaps we spoke about just a slight change in perspective, change in focus, and change in the way we see things. Would you allow God to say over you tonight, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. And I love you with the same love that I have for Jesus. That I have plans and purposes for your life that I have belonging and blessing, that I want to take away every burden and bring you from brokenness into wholeness. But all that I need you to do is just turn and look at me. Can we stand together and pray? the story of the prodigal son there was a moment when he had to turn there was a moment when he had to make a choice there was a moment when he had to pull himself out of his situation and say I don't want this any longer I don't want this I might 
I might not feel good enough to be in my father's house, but surely I can be a servant or a slave somewhere in his field. And I'm asking you tonight, would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to say, I've tried this. I've tried doing this on my own strength but I'm still feeling unworthy. I'm still feeling not good enough. I'm still stuck in old ways. I've tried this and it's not working. God, I give up. I want to come before you and just behold you. I know I do. And I want to invite anyone this evening, if it's your whole life, that you need God to save and help you with. Or there's just one area where the enemy's whispering and saying you're not good enough, where there's no freedom. I'm asking you to turn tonight, not only for your own sake, but for all of our sakes. Because we need you to be operating in the fullness that God has for you. We're all in this together. And the Father is saying, come home. Come home. I have identity for you. I have righteousness for you. I have blessing for you. I have provision for you. I have protection for you. Come home. And I want to invite you, for those of you who want to come home, come stand up front here with me so we can pray together. Don't be shy. Don't think twice. If there are areas in your life that you want God to bring freedom, that you want God to bring identity, come stand with me here. I'm the first one up here. Remember, the son had a turn, and then God saw him turning, and God came running. The son had a turn. Would you turn tonight? Would you turn tonight? Don't miss this opportunity. Don't miss this opportunity. Give him your heart. Give him your all. Let's break that curse tonight that you are not good enough, that you are not enough. It ends tonight. It ends tonight.